This is a conversation with my friend Ben from high school. Back then, his nickname was Big Red. His nickname might still be that. I don't really know. We've been out of high school about 20 plus years at this point, so give me a break. He went off to Duke. I went off to Georgetown. We actually talk a little bit about that in the beginning. We clearly came from a quote-unquote elite academic institution, but we still have mutual friends from back when who share the dumbest stuff possible on Facebook. We also went to high school with Randy Zuckerberg, Mark's sister, so there's a little bit of talk about that, too. Also, we cover men in therapy, losing your mom, adult relationships, Texas girls, partisanship, finding religion in your 30s, and honestly, just two dudes catching up after a couple decades. It was fun to tape, and hopefully you listen to some of it. Let's roll. As we get started here, I'm talking about the Jared Diamond book, Upheaval. The two things that are going to drive the U.S. like downward are like it's so goddamn partisan and then the debt stuff. Right. Right. But it's like the partisan stuff is like uh, you would think that in a moment where or like a however long this arc is, whether it's like six weeks, six months, I don't know. But you would think that like we could put aside some of it, but even like just before. You called me. I was like watching Trump just like blast some NBC News reporter <laughs> in his conference. And you're just like, what is this shit, man? Like, couldn't we just like, you, like unify for like oh, two or three weeks, you right. know? But like everything's got to be, people just need to make everything political, you know? And it's like really I, weird. It weird. Is weird. It's yeah. very strange. I, I just, you know, and. You know, very similarly, you know, I think it's weird that, you know, I've seen a lot of people, you know, read online, and we've probably been talking about it for a while. You know, people said the, you know, the information age or the age of the internet was going to bring people together and bring, you know, really expose untruths and and bring real facts to the people. And if anything, it feels like we've gone the opposite way. Yeah. And, and, Uh, and everything, I mean, every, for any, any, any type of just fact, you can find something on the internet that will oppose that and, and, and claim to be truthful and, and cite references, which, you know, may or may not be made up, but people, I, on the internet, it's got to be true. Yeah. One of the greatest like uh, stats, like modern things I've ever heard is that the, like the third most shared article on facebook in 2016 was about uh the pope endorsing trump for president right and if you knew if you knew anything about catholicism like basic religion like the littlest amount possible you would know that probably like a pope is not going to weigh in on a u.s election and first of all second of all probably not going to endorse somebody that's been married multiple times like if you knew a scrape level of information about anything you would be like i probably shouldn't share this article but instead (laughs) like eight million times right and you're like okay like i'm not really sure how this stuff works or happens but i I think it's just like 
you know, it's very tempting to blame like education system or uh, fucking parenting or whatever. And man, like we, or, you know, we could blame the Zuckerbergs that we can get into in a second, but like you and I went to uh, like what's considered an elite uh, high school, like gets ranked in America. And I would say like, I still see people we went to high school with share some of the dumbest shit. (laughs) And I'm like, dude, our high school is ranked by some people as like a top two or three high school in America. And I see stuff come out of the lungs of there where I'm like, holy shit. This is the reality that we're living in. Right. You're right. And, and, and I don't, and, and, and part of me goes like, you know, the whole concept of like trolling is because so part of me thinks like these people have got to be doing this just try to get a rise over other people because there's no way like they know like i know they well some of them you know have some cognitive you know challenges yeah. but I, on, the, on the whole you know they're like if they stop and think about it, like yeah you're right like why would the pope do that and like no this can't right. possibly be accurate like there's no do you, for yeah. all the reasons you cited amongst others like but why would i share something like that or and there's so many of those other things that come out i think they're just doing it to try to you know get people riled up because in the back of their mind they know like ah this is bullshit but you know what like yeah. it'll be fun to light the internet on fire for the day for yeah. a i'm sitting in this meeting and it sucks so i might as well you know get some entertainment out of my time make it look like i'm doing an important email meanwhile you know i'm trying to put out you know let me let me post this anti-vaxxer story on here and and, yeah, and see all the people in my group to see so i can you know we can have fun about it but I, you know uh... but, but i i think you make a good i mean so I'd, I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts on you know, again, the, the Zuckerbergs and, you know, our connection, well, A, our connection to them, but, you know, more so like how much, you know, how much do you think, you know, Facebook is responsible to try to weed stuff out? I'm, I'm conflicted, honestly. Yeah, I am too. Well, so first of all, funny shit is I just, I only realized this like a couple of years ago, but I was in a play with her, that being Mark's sister in probably like, I want to say ninth grade. And So we must have been like 15, 16, I guess, right? And I'm almost positive that on the Friday night, um, he did not go. He would have been in like fifth grade. He didn't go to our school at the time. I think he went somewhere like Dobbs Ferry or whatever. Um, I'm almost positive he came to the Friday night and on the receiving line, like for after the play, he was like, Oh, hey, good, good job to me. And, like, I, re- I just thought about that, like, when I was, like, 36. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, man. Like, basically, I, like, I got a kudos from, like, uh, 11-year-old Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> right? And, I'm like, now I, like, now I spend a lot of time, like, taking phone calls in gym shorts. <laughs> so there's a, big, there's a big success dichotomy there. But as for the whole Facebook thing, um, okay, I think it's a powerful medium. I do think uh, people probably broadly started getting off of it uh, more and more. You see, like, declines. Their user base is still massive, but you see some declines because I think it got very political and, like, people's grandmas are on there and shit, and they don't want to put certain stuff in front of their family. So I don't think it's as powerful as maybe 
people assign it. The whole 2016 narrative, to me, that's actually more like a business discussion because I think what Trump did better was like data shit, targeting stuff, which is what good businesses do in any context anyway. I don't, I don't think it was as much misinformation as they targeted the right message to the right areas. Like there are huge swaths of the country that think like the issue is that Mexicans are taking jobs and not technology. Right. right? And so like if you target that message to that area and Facebook is an effective targeting platform at the very least, like I think they did that better than Clinton. And I also think that was like a zeitgeist moment where um, I think people were so tired of like political bullshit that he was almost like a, a breath of fresh air in a way. And I don't buy the whole like Russia manipulated everything like uh, bot farms or whatever. That stuff is going to exist. Like once we scaled technology and like mobile and like that stuff was going to be there. So mm -hmm. I think as an influence, I don't, when you see people that are like very anti-Trump, very liberal, uh, when they go down that hole of argument, I'm always kind of like, eh, I feel like there's other stuff we could get this guy. <laughs> as opposed right. to like Facebook. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I just, so, I mean, I, and I feel like I, I, I struggle with the fact that I, I, I do. You, so I totally agree with your points on definitely, you know, did a great job of learning how to leverage analytics to do targeted right. messaging and the technology right. is there and, you know, not using it was a massive mistake. Um, and I think people, and, and, you know, I mean, you just, I mean, it's general marketing. I mean, that, that wasn't like, that really wasn't anything new. It just hadn't been done effectively like the way you had, I, I guess my, where I, I still worry about it, you know, some cases is that it, you know, it is, it was essentially meant to be a free platform, you know, a platform for freedom of expression. Right. Um, and if you start, if they start to take on the ability of like, well, we have to verify what people say, like, well, you know, I, I really don't ever, you know, back to our JSA days, right? You know, slippery yeah. slope logic doesn't work in any argument, but even then I, I do worry like, you know, so wh where does it stop? You know, I mean, I guess maybe right. you can have like a set of, you know, verified accounts that, you know, will are willing to submit themselves to a certain standard to say anything we will post will, you know, be verified and, and fact checked. But then the rest of us can kind of continue on our merry way. If we want to, you know, post ridiculous shit about the, the Pope and the president, you should let us do that. You know, particularly, you know, why not? Uh, because right. I don't think really anybody's responsibility to do that because it is, it's just a large, you know, public open forum. But right. again, I think, I, I do think that, you know, with their, with the growing user base and others, they're not growing, but with their user base, there are a number of people that just, they can't separate fact from fiction and are, and having access to that is at a detriment to their well-being somewhat. Yep. I, I mean, I, it, it then, feels super, it feels really paternalistic to say that, but it, it, yeah. I, I don't know how else I think it's true. Like, you know, there are people reading that, you know, look, you know, don't vaccinate my kids because it's poison and they're going to get, you know, they're going to have developmental disabilities. Like yep. there is no science proving it. It's just, just no, not. 
story. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. But, but it's filled with that stuff. And it's yeah. like, but come yeah. on. You're gonna, you're gonna, that's, that's where I start to worry because it's like, there's a de- people are reading this and making decisions that have a definite health impact on others. And it's, and yeah. it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the same. I saw some shit like a couple, maybe like two months ago, where there were some like late 20s, early 30s chicks on Instagram with like high follower accounts, and they were promoting some like fucking herbal tea for like body sculpting and like belly flattening or whatever. And like, like legit small sample size, but like seven people that took this shit had a miscarriage, <laughs> right? And you're like, dude, these people are doctors, okay? Like we can't, like there has, <laughs> there, there has to be a level at which expertise still matters. And like, if you want to assign the blame to like Trump or like, fucking LinkedIn or any number of factors where everybody's rushing claiming like, you know, I'm an expert in this area, right? Like I get companies all the time are like, hey, write this like email thing for me. And they're like, we're experts in like outsourcing or whatever. And then you like literally talk to somebody there and they barely know what like outsourcing is, right? (laughs) So I think like expertise has declined for sure. But it's like at some point, why would somebody put themselves like 200K in debt to become a doctor, which is a a reputable, like purpose-laden profession, ideally, and then like some 29-year-old girl on Instagram is where people are actually getting medical advice from, right? It's like that's the shit that I think is like where we're at kind of a dangerous intersection, you know? I I totally agree. Yeah, Yeah. I totally agree. And then I... I was going to tell you too, man, like I, um, a couple of weeks ago, I read that, uh, like the New Yorker had like a long ass article on prep for prep and mm-hmm. the, it, it had like a couple of things about Damien in there. Right. So oh. I like Facebook messaged him and like, I had talked to him a little bit about like the golden state warriors, like maybe three, four years ago, but I hadn't talked to him in a while. So, like, he's on their legal team, right? So, I, oh, I you, know okay. you know, he worked for, like, Facebook legal. So, I messaged him, and I don't think any, I, like, none of this shit can get him fired. It's basic, like, you can probably <laughs> find all this stuff. But I was like, yo, how often do y'all get sued? And he's like, oh, God, like, 12,000 times a day globally, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And I've heard, like, Sheryl Sandberg on interviews say some more stuff. So I was like, what are, what's the basis of most of the lawsuits? And he's like, oh, a lot of it is data or like people saying data was poorly used or manipulated. They were, they apparently get like countersued by police departments and stuff saying like, you gave a shitty tracking. Like we came to you to figure out what this person was doing in a time window. Cause they said they were on Facebook. That was an alibi or something. So they get sued by, like, police departments and counties and stuff. But then he was like, man, there's all this First Amendment. There's all these First Amendment suits, which is, like you said a few minutes ago, it's this slippery slope because, like, they use the First Amendment as, like, a defense for a certain set of their actions. 
but then they have to like adopt a different position if they're getting sued from a certain angle. So it's like a really weird, it's just like, obviously every business at that scale is complicated and like there's a lot of stuff going on, but it's just like real interesting is like they have to defend what they do around the first amendment in some contexts, but then they like back away from it in other contexts. And I was like, shit, man, that's more interesting than I thought it would be, you know? Oh yeah. yeah. That sounds really interesting. It also sounds like, I mean, you know, yeah, I don't know. A thankless job. I mean, it right. just sounds like, you know, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could sit in a Bay area office and just like deal with like first amendment filings all day. <laughs> you know? It was like, oh, insofar as any job is that purposeful, I, I'm not sure if that one is. You know? I think I'd rather I'd rather be cold calling in a call center than do that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. That's tough, man. I mean, that's uh, uh, that would be miserable to have. To, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure. And and the thing is, you do have I mean, probably you do have to take it somewhat seriously. I mean, I'm, there's probably thousands of whack jobs that do this, and you're like, God, I got to respond to this guy again that thinks I shadow banned him because <laughs> against, yeah. you know, because we're really all Illuminati and lizard people. Like, yeah. I got to, I actually have to write a response to this. Like, no, I, I, yeah. I shouldn't have to, but yeah, yeah I'm going to, Oh, that just, Oh, there's like, um, there's like some 76 year old judge in uh, that County, like Palo Alto, San Francisco. Right who's like desperately trying to retire and like every day he's just like, fuck, this is my filing about some guy who thinks that this company shadow banned him. He's like, I've been trying to retire for years. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, All right, so now, so yeah, let's talk a little bit about, uh, let's talk a little bit about adulthood at a broad level, man. So what, um, so yeah, this is like an on the spot question, so you don't have to have any amazing answer to it. But like okay, so let's say like late late twenties to late thirties. Like you had a three year old, so that would have happened within that span. What give me some every a lot of people always default to like, oh, having kids and I'm sure that shit does change too. We can talk about that in a second. But like, do you have any like higher order stuff or like life mantra stuff that you feel like stuff that like since 28, 29, you're like, well, I have a new appreciation for this. Or I think about life differently in this way. Like, is there anything that jumps out uh, in terms of like big, bigger changes, you know, kid and not kid in the last. Yeah. Like, yeah. Years. I mean, you know, it's funny. I mean, I think for me, even, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, what is it like to be a dad or, you know, did things change? You know, I, I don't think, you know, for me personally, um, well, socially things change somewhat, right. but uh, from a personal higher order perspective, I don't, things didn't change that much for me um, from that perspective. Um, and I think people were shocked by that, but I think, you know, for me, one thing that changed, you know, there's a lot of different priorities um, you know, when I was, uh, you know, mid, so I got married in 2013, uh, or excuse me, 2014, early 2014. Um, okay. but my, uh, my mother was diagnosed with ALS in 2013, okay. uh, or late 2012. Um, she didn't live too much longer, um, 
after, you know, after I was married. Uh, right. It came pretty quick. You know, it only took uh, about, you know, from diagnosis to, uh, to death. It was about a year. Oh, uh, really? yeah, yeah, that's a pretty tight uh, window. It was tight window. Um, and honestly, and at the end of her life as well, you know, she, I mean, she probably could have continued on. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, her quality of life, she felt was not very good. And so she made a personal decision to remove some of the, you know, breathing and, you know, feeding apparatuses that were, you know, helping her survive. Um, but, you know, she couldn't, she had a really hard time communicating, you know, we had the systems to set up for her that she could, you know, like, uh, like that guy from the saints or whoever that, um, Oh yeah, Gleason or whatever. Yeah, Gleason. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. she had all that stuff, similar stuff that he has, um, but it wasn't a real life for her. Um, right. And so she chose to end it. So for me, I think that that changed a couple of things. So you know, right. I was definitely working really hard, continued to work hard, um, and um, I was very lucky to, at the time, you know, my mom asked me towards the end, you know, she knew it was, you know, that she had made a decision like, look, I'm, you know, I'm probably only going to be able to deal with this crap for like another month, six weeks. You know, can you just come and stay with me? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been the, the last, you know, month of my life. And, you know, it's hard to go to, it was hard for me to go to, you know, my boss at the time or the people I was working with. Um, you know, and asked for that because, you know, realistically we figured it was six weeks, but, you know, no, nobody really knows she might change her mind. You know, that's what I was hoping, but, you know, they were really good about, you know, Hey man, take the time you need, you know, understand this is not a good place to be and, you know, try to learn some balance in this time. And, and even in that time, I, I learned how to balance work a little bit. Like there wasn't, you know, we were waiting for a, a new assignment. Um, but both my client, um, who was, you know, a large bank or one of the large, now one of the largest world, you know, banks and the people I was working with there and even the internal folks at my company, you know, said, you know, Hey, go be with your family. And, you know, the work will still be here when you get back. Yep. And, and I'd always kind of always knew like the work will still be here. And I always, you know, in the back of my mind knew like, look, I know I am not so important that if I don't show up to work tomorrow, that the whole company is going to fall apart. Like, I mean, everybody knows that. But it really, you know, but I also knew I had my, you know, and still continue to have my fingers in a lot of different pots and, you know, just, you know, dropping off the face of the earth, you know, would not have been great, but, you know, things go on and people, you know, learn to live. So, you know, A, I think that reinforced that. And so it changed a lot of things in my life in terms of, look, you know, I know there are still a lot of times where I probably get a little too anxious and I probably do focus on work more than I should, but certainly from that point on in the past seven years of my life, um, you know, work has definitely become less important. I try, um, I've really tried not to spend as much time or even any time if I can on the weekends doing work. Um, I work for a global company. So like during the week, and I work with guys in India, I work with guys in London, I say guys, people. Um, So, you know, my work week generally, you know, the hours are all over the map because it just depends on who needs, who I need to talk to. So, right. you know, day through Friday is, is pretty busy, but I've been trying to spend as much time on the weekend and plus technically, you know, um, technically I'm also supposed to travel. I haven't been traveling as much over the past couple of years, but you know, that really set some of that context in there for me. The other thing that I think changed for me is to understand, you know, tomorrow isn't promised and, you know, life can be taken away from you really quickly. Yep. Uh, 
you know, and in your 20s, you know, I think when you're young and you're healthy, I mean, I think everybody does generally know that, but it's still hard. It's hard to come to grips with that. Uh, It's hard. I mean, it's hard to take it seriously. It's hard to take it seriously unless, you know, you've really, you know, unless you, you know, grew up in an environment where, you know, a lot of your peers, you know, at a young age, you know, were killed like in the middle of, you know, a draft or wartime or, or a massive pandemic like we are now, but, you know, apparently the millennials can't get it. So they're still on spring break anyway, (laughs) as much as they're going to try. So, um, so I, I think it's until, you know, probably for most of us, I think really it's when you hit that, you know, that early thirties, mid thirties stage where, you know, you're going to have some friends, um, you know, that passive, you know, what would be, you know, natural cause or some diseases like cancer or other things, or you have your parents, you know, your parents die um, that you do start to question. And so for me, it was like, you know, Hey, look, you know, for a lot of things that I was, probably taking too seriously on a day in and day out basis. I was like, you know what? It's not that big of a deal, you know, like, Hey, you know, there's, and as well, like certain things uh, uh, that, you know, I considered or or that I, that I considered probably, you know, just like wrote like, Hey, just meeting up with friends, like, no, you should do that. You know, like you never know when, when things are going to happen, you know, I mean, I won't, I won't, uh, you know, I won't divulge anything now, you know, a couple of the people that we did go to high school with, you know, have had, you know, have learned lately of, you know, some serious medical complications they have and, you know, they're not die tomorrow, but, you know, um, probably their lifespan overall is going to be significantly shortened. And so, you know, not taking for granted, like, you know, calling those people and and hang with them. And, and, And in an age where, in an age where communication has never been so easy, but there's so many different ways to do it, it does become overwhelming some days to try to reach out to those folks, but you got to. Um, and it reminded me that, that I have to do that. And yep. so I think that, that started to change a lot more for me as well, just to say, you know, hey, let's, let's get it done. Um, and as well, just to make sure that, you know, taking time for myself, you know, yep. I think that was the other thing. I, I, still, I still struggle with that. Um, I think inherently, you know, growing up, I was taught, you know, to be helping others, to be looking out for other people. Um, and that, you know, if I'm doing something just for me, that's like a selfish thing. So right. even if like, I'm going to the gym, like n- even now I go to the, I try to go to the gym, you know, at least five, six times a week, you know, a, it helps me kind of decompress. It's definitely mm-hmm. more healthy than knocking back a few beers, which you right. know, I still do anyway. But, yeah. but but still, it, you know, it allows me to continue to do that. But like, I still have a feeling of guilt when I'm there, like that, like, hey, I got a kid at home, you know, my wife right. is doing something or I could be, you know, I could be volunteering my time or doing something else. And, you know, every second I'm there, like, I'm trying to get the workout done as quickly as possible. <laughs> so like, I can get like, I like being there, I like being in the moment, but I also feel this guilt. And so like, there's this anxiety behind it of like, shit, man, we got to get this hurry up and done so you can get back to doing, you know, what everybody else needs you to do. Um, and that and I'm fighting that. And that's still it's not healthy. Um, you know, in all honesty, you know, I'll, I'll admit like, I've, I've gone to see, uh, I've, I've gotten counseling help over it. Um, and I had to, and for a long time, I, I didn't, um, I, I thought 
I was normal. I thought I was being altruistic. You know, I thought everybody else wasn't really thinking about things the right way. Um, and it, it took me some time until really I, um, you know, had a couple, I, I started to feel, you know, one day and I studied psychology in college. So I should have, I should have known this, but I started to feel like I was having panic attacks right? Um, and, and having physical problems. And it, it, it got to that point where I finally said, I need to go talk to someone about this. Um, and I did it, but it, I mean, it was probably five to 10 years too late. I probably, you know, I've always felt like that. Yeah. Some, uh, of, some of that stuff is too like masculinity, I feel like. And I, I know that's an easy out on it, but like there is a whole context around like dudes aren't supposed to do that or are supposed to like work through shit in different ways. Right. But I, I do feel like, honestly, I know, a, I know probably like 50 people in like a similar context, maybe like industry or geo is different, but it's like literally after I had 35 people tell me the same thing, even about the gym example, right? Where it's like, it's this weird place and women have it too in different ways, but like, it's this weird place where like self care, quote unquote, or like doing shit for yourself can still make you feel like selfish or like, oh, there's like other stuff I should be doing as like a responsible adult slash provider. I don't know if it's a uniquely male thing because I know women struggle with like guilt and selfishness, but it's kind of at a different degree, I feel like. But it's interesting because like guys are taught, and this is a cliche because there are some guys that are very like emotionally woke or whatever, but in general, I feel like guys are taught like, find like 64 different channels to figure something out before you find this channel. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, like I said, I I think growing up, I I think I was taught very similarly that it's, and, and that's what fed into part of the helping others is that, you know, my own personal burden around, you know, not, feeling good or feeling depressed or um, worrying about myself in and, in and of itself was an imposition on others. And so I should be figuring it out on my own and not asking for help. Um, because, and partially because, you know, and, and I would agree it partially did have to do because you're a man and you should suck it up and others don't want to hear about, you know, your problems. You know, you shouldn't be, you, you know, I don't, and I don't know where I learned that, and I don't know how that came to be, but you're right. I mean, it was like, hey, you know, you're a man. You shouldn't be doing that. Um, or, you know, it's not it's not part it's it's not even a matter of vulnerability. It was more a matter of, you know, as a man, you shouldn't have these problems. You should be able to solve them yourself and be solving problems for others. Uh, and that in and of itself becomes a circle. And that's, you know, part of what I had to go through and learn and, you know, some of the, the counseling I was going through, which was, you know, hey, you know, that that's not a healthy thing to do either. It's okay to ask for help. Um, and, 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 you know, it doesn't mean, you know, you need to, doesn't mean that for every small slight in the world, you know, you're going to 
you know, lose it or, you know, really have to go down a rabbit hole. But right. they're, you know, recognizing when like you need help is very important. And I, and I, and I agree. I think a lot of men struggle with that. And I do think societally it's still in there. I still think it's looked down upon. Um, did you, you find know, it, like, did you mostly find it when you were doing it or insofar as you still do mm-hmm. it sometimes, did you find it, uh helpful i would say i go back and forth on it like i've done in new york and in texas and like maybe one other place i've probably been like five different pockets of time so like with five different people and i would say it's very contingent on like the type of person you're working with i do feel like if you're this is gonna sound like maybe i'm blowing smoke up my ass or both our asses but like (laughs) think like i do think if you're like a smarter person or you've been exposed to like a bunch of different types of people via like experiences or industry or whatever i think you can like kind of circumvent some of counseling and therapy in your own head and make it less effective um it's almost like this is good this is a like probably a terrible parallel but it's almost like religion in a way like i I was never religious and then maybe like last two three years i started going to church more i know that doesn't actually make a person religious but i started going more and i always think it's funny like and like i i have a lot of respect for people that are like super like religious not as much like bible thump people but it's almost like to fully buy in on religion you kind of have to like shut off some like logical corridors of your brain and sometimes i feel like it's the same shit when you go to counseling it's like or you you get told stuff that you've like already realized yourself and it's like a question of like like, whether you're just gonna actually accept it you know so i don't know if you felt like any challenges therein being like a smarter more worldly person yourself you know Uh, well i think i I think you make a great point about the the person you work with um, from a therapy perspective yeah uh, that is that's a hundred percent true um, you know because and doubly for me right because I mean part of my undergraduate experience was you know working in abnormal psychology and you know working through there and you know understanding the basics of talk therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy so not only like Am I thinking about, yeah, I don't have to deal with this. Like, I know why when I'm working with somebody new or I, I was once or twice, like I knew why they were asking the questions they were asking and what right. they were trying to get to. And I'm already like, no, no, we, let's just skip that step. Like, let me, like, <laughs> let me, like, we don't need to do that. Like, I can tell you what you're looking for. Like, you don't need to go through all this with me. Like, I kind of want to get this, you know, let, let's, let's skip that. So it was doubly hard, but you're right. Cause I think sometimes, you know, particularly for people, I don't want to say they're new, but you know, certain people that really have to really believe in doing things in a methodical way. Um, yeah. It was a challenge and, and, and was like, okay, you know, um, that's not really something that's happened. Like, you know, honestly, I mean, the other, you know, part of it too, and I can tell you my most, you know, interesting example, and I don't even know why it seems like it only happened once, but like, my company hired some other company to do like executive coaching slash like, you know, therapy sessions. And like these people, like 
called us on the phone and we're asking like a whole bunch of personal questions and trying to dig. And it was based on kind of like one of those, you know, one of the newer, you know, testing methodologies I was a little familiar with. And I'm like, look, you know, if you're trying to ask if, you know, I have psychopathic tendencies, like you should be asking these questions. Like, and second of all, like, why would I tell you any of this? Like, you're calling me over the phone. I don't even see you. Like, why, why, who thought this was a good idea? And I was like, look, I know this isn't your fault, but like, this is really weird. And this is totally not going to work. If, I mean, I don't know how you're going to coach me like this. This is totally wrong. They never called me again. I think I got put on the list of like, not this guy. Like he's done. So. No, you you went from you went from like an actual lead source to they were like never call again. <laughs> exactly. Like no no yeah. no. I feel that way too, man. I got like uh um I got a call like that almost like to the T, same thing, probably like seven, eight years ago. And I was even like kinda counseling the dude on the other end, like how to do his job question wise. <laughs> it's like and if you know but if you know that type of shit, like I was psych undergrad too. If you know that type of shit, you're just like, okay, you know, I don't have a PhD in it or whatever, but I'm a relatively intelligent person. And I did study the basics of it. So it's like, I can tell you like, okay, if you're trying to figure out if I'm a sociopath or whatever, like <laughs> maybe we should go down this other road. Right. Uh, and then <clears throat> one other thing that you said that I was going to touch on is like, um, I'm in this like men's group thing, which is like, it hasn't met recently, but it's like generally pretty good. And I find what's funny is, uh, and we can talk about this in a second too, if you want, but like almost every dude, like most of them are probably 31 to like 55. I would say that's the wide range, right? Mm-hmm. Almost every dude, 31 to 55 complains about like, the same five to seven things which is hysterical like regardless of what they're at in life right so um i was at a table of like a bunch of dudes the average of the table i was at was probably like 45 Mm -hmm. about three four months ago and like a lot of these guys were like big like business dudes like fucking analysts like probably a sizable chunk of like oil and gas shit because it's texas or whatever and um, I was like, I tried to make the exact point that you were talking about a few minutes ago where I was like, man, you know, like everybody is replaceable, uh, conceivably, even if you have your hand in a million pots, like theoretically you're replaceable. And like, I tried to tell these guys at my table, like, man, if Bezos got hit by a fucking truck tomorrow, like Amazon would still deliver right. shit in two weeks. Right. Right. Like everybody is theoretically replaceable. And like, I would say half the table got it and half the table was like, you're a moron. (laughs) I was like, no, like as important as you think you are at your job or as important as your supervisor or boss might tell you because of your connection to revenue generation or whatever, you are still replaceable. Like all of us are theoretically replaceable. Right. So I think that that's like a super good lesson to get before you hit like the thinking about retirement period right because it's like um, you have to understand that like all this shit even if you have a great boss and a great culture and you feel supported in different ways all work shit is theoretically transactional at its very core right it's like there's no there's loyalty in a sense and there's loyalty to 
like like tenure and certain projects or like expertise knowledge it's there to a degree but a lot of that stuff is just like people like ultimately want like paid assassins at some level too you know yep so yeah. You got to understand yep. that, like, if you get phased out of something, it's not the end of the world. There'll probably be another thing. You don't necessarily know how long it'll take, but there'll be another thing somewhere. And if you get lucky and stay with something that you vaguely enjoy for like 10, 12 years, that's cool too. But like, everybody's replaceable. So I think that that's uh, super sweet that you figured that out in the front to mid half of your thirties, if not before, as opposed to being 65 and still thinking you were like cock of the walk in some right. industry, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I always think about too, that have you seen that movie about Schmidt with Jack yeah. Nicholson? Yeah, yeah. Like when, you know, he's been at that company for God knows how long and he hands the new guy, his files, He's like, this has been cultivated over, what, 25, 30 years yeah. of work. And then he goes yeah. outside and the, the, all the files are in the dumpster. You know, it's just like, you know, nobody cares, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. So what? Uh, you're gone. You know? Yeah. So how is that men's group would, working would, for you? Is, um, it's good, I would say. So, okay, I would say uh, uh, this is going to sound um, – I don't know what the adjective would be, but I would say I get almost every time I get at a table and like I try to bounce around so that I'm not on the same people all the time. But like every time I'll get a table and you got some guy who's like 44 and he has like two kids or whatever. And it's like uh, maybe like I don't know, 30% of these people I see in like networking event situations or church or whatever, like some other societal thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you look at these people from afar, you'd be like, okay, dude seems to uh, do well contextually, like dresses well, like fits the part. Seems like his house is in a fucking nice subdivision. Uh, He like, uh, or he has like a sweet condo apartment or whatever. And you're like, man, this is like, seems like this dude's fucking doing great. Right. And then you get in these conversations that are like more open moments for males. And you're like, they're like, Oh God, like my wife p- fucking pisses me off all the time. <laughs> my kids piss me off all the time. Like my boss is like the biggest KPI asshole ever. And you're like, okay, that's the thing that I feel like people forget because we do live in like a hyper comparison age. We have no idea what people actually go through across like 24, 72 hours. Right. Like we don't know, we don't know what their childcare regimen is like. We don't know what their relationship with their dad or siblings or wife or whatever is like. Right. So we only see like superficial markers. Like, man, they have a sweet, condo or like you know they work in banking and they're probably crushing it or whatever but like we don't know the full picture and i think that part has actually been helpful for me because i like i fall into comparison shit all the time right and i feel like meeting dudes where you're like whoa this dude's a conventional success and then he's like 
my fucking wife over programs our family. <laughs> like we're all right. <laughs> and they're like, okay, cool, man. Like people have flaws and problems and shit, right? So right. that I actually right. think has been um helpful, you know? That's but great. some of it goes to and this is kind of what I was saying before, is like some of it because you're like <laughs> sorry, because you're talking about Texas and shit and there's a specific ethos there is like some of it goes to like people will get too like churchy or Jesus-y about it and like I I don't mind that and if you I try to have a respect for like where people came from what they came up in so like if you were raised in large part by your grandfather or something and your grandfather fucking went to church every week and like knows all this can quote all these verses or whatever that stuff is so baked into you that like when you come to a table to discuss some life issue with a bunch of guys you're probably going to default to that type of stuff like right so i that's not me per se but i understand that a lot of people are like that right but right the the commonality of complaint or experience has been like negative it's like negative on surface but it's been useful to me is that like there's no point to like hyper compare right because even um i met like i met some dude through it i went to something and he was like uh he's commercial real estate right so non-residential and he was like man in 20 i want to say 2017 he's like man i did like 475k in 2017 and i was like cool like superficially that's great relatively low cost of living here so i'm like that's fucking awesome right and then like i got to know him more i went to lunch with him two or three times and he's like man that same year i did 475 i was fucking like i overdosed on uh pills and my wife found me and i was like holy fucking shit man so first of all my first thing, like, because this is where my brain goes to, my first right. thing was like, man, residential real estate is not, I mean, commercial real estate <laughs> is not that hard. If you're over those and still going to have million dollars, right? So that was my first thing. But then my second thing is like, yeah, it's just like we don't, we don't know the full picture of people. And I think we forget that a lot uh, with like how the world is more connected. So that's a thing that I feel like has been helpful in a way is like wherever you think you are on your journey and the stuff that you feel like is a struggle or a drawback for you, you know, like even people that you think are doing great, like they, you know, you don't know anything about what they're dealing with on a day to day basis, you know. That's a fair, you know, that's a great, that's a great point. You know, I mean, I've, you know, and I've been, you know, we've been going back and forth on, you know, various social media and I, I've definitely been watching you know, your stuff. And I, I appreciate the fact that a, you're, you know, you're so open about it and B, you know, I saw you've been going to church more often, yeah. um, you know, and which, you know, and I, I'm kind of in the same boat that you are, um, you know, my wife grew up going to church a lot. I didn't. Um, you know, we have a church in New York now. There's a small, you know, we do small group afterwards. Um, that's like for kids and young parents. And so I've met a couple guys in there. But, you know, for me personally, yeah, I mean, I do struggle with a lot of going to church because, you know, I think not, certainly in New York, you get 
less of it. Like everything we talk about in church is like a, you know, a Jesus frame. Like, you know, I met this guy, you know, who works, uh, you know, does, you know, advisory, but mostly on Asian stuff. And we went out, you know, to lunch and after like the first, you know, 10 minutes, and I'm just trying to get to know this guy. He's like, so, you know, how did you come to Christ? And it's like, (laughs) I just kind of like, it just kind of came out of 10 to like, you know, complete non sequitur. And I was like, uh, and like, and not that I don't want to share and talk about it, but it was like, Hey man, can we like talk about the Knicks first or something? You know, like, I don't, I don't know how we got here. And so I am looking for, for you know a group to do that and i think it's so the other thing i found you know back with the therapy piece and struggling you know as men with putting stuff out is it's good to connect with people and it's good sometimes just to say stuff to get it out there now i know there's a lot of people you know a lot of more new agey theories that say you know if you speak something into the world you manifest it and by talking about it you make it worse but i I have found personally if i just say it it makes it better because again i I am still holding a lot of my problems inside Um, i don't do a good enough job still of getting it out there and i think there is a tremendous amount of good faith by the same token right i also don't want to be that guy like you said that's talking about the same four things like oh the kid is this or the wife did that because it's like uh, you know like it's 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 cliche you know it's like all right well now that we've talked about that like let's get into something deeper and i think you know and i haven't re- i've struggled now and you know and i've you know seen you post about it i think it's true that people struggle to find those meaningful connections like i can have that conversation with my friends i made in college i mean even today you know we don't get to talk one on one a lot you know we try to we all have kids i mean they've got most of my friends now from college have like two three some of them even four or five kids which is insane and a lot of them live in houston um they yeah. all kind of some of them were you know for, pulled out of fort worth but they um but like today we were like yeah everything's driving us crazy and a couple of them are going nuts like look we got to do a virtual happy hour like we're all stuck at home yeah. we all are going to be in some place everybody make sure you got a beer we'll all meet up on you know on webex and we'll all just have, we'll all stand around and talk about it and we'll probably get into some deep stuff uh, you know, that you know, we haven't talked about in a while. And it'll probably be funny and it'll be good and it'll be good for all of us. But I think it's great that you, you know, you found those places. I mean, I'm, I'm still looking for one. We've got one at the church, but I think what's different there, right? Um, most of those guys are older guys. They're like, you know, 60s into 70s. So, and I've talked with a couple of them. They're generally good guys, but they, I mean, they can't help but be somewhat paternalistic. You know, like, hey, let me give you some dad advice. And it's like, yeah, I don't, not really looking for that. Um, and they are very much like everything always has to come back to, well, you know, what would it, you know, what would Jesus do? And it's right. like, you know what, like, that's great and all. But, and that, and that, I, honestly, when that happens for me, I still continue to get very uncomfortable because I still have that, you know, like you said, we grew up in a place where we challenged a lot of thinking. Like I still can't, like I'm getting, I can even feel it right now. Like my blood pressure rises when I think about the fact that like there are people in this world that still think they need 50 different guns in their home and say there's not a gun problem in America. And every time something happens, they're the same people that say we should pray to Jesus, thoughts and prayers, and God will sort it out. No, that's not the answer to this. Like there are things we can do to stop this and just praying for a miracle is not right. It's not effective. And and that it drives me insane. And luckily we've got very few people, 
you know, in our small group or that I interact at church like that, you know, but I can't imagine sitting where you are because I'm sure you hear a lot of that. Like, oh, yeah. I, I would just be, I, I mean, I'd probably punch somebody in the face at some point to be like, dude, you really can't be that stupid. Like, you know, you, you just like, I yep. get it. You want your stuff. We're Americans. We're very much like we're in a land where if I want as much stuff as I should have, I should have it. And I right. get it. But you gotta understand, it's like it's just it's not about you. Like it's yeah, not about you know. It's also, it's also funny too. Like even when we're doing this recording, some of the shit that came out about like Burr and Loeffler, the senators that were like dumping stocks or whatever, right? So the thing is, is like what I would say since I was going to church more, one of the hardest things to reconcile is like, okay, well. There's still fucking people like Ted Bundy in the world, right? right. There's, still, there's still people that are like going on a campaign trail mentioning Christ like 30 times in an hour. And then like they're hearing stuff in private meetings and being like, well, let me get more for my family and not tell any of my constituents what's coming, right? So right. that's where the dichotomy that's hard to reconcile is. It's like, if you're fundamentally not really a good person or you're very selfish, like appealing to Christ consistently doesn't really matter <laughs> in right. my opinion. Like it doesn't right. change anything. Right. Oh. But, and then it's like, then, but the flip side is like the people that are like straight walking Christ, like a hundred percent walking Christ. You're almost like, man, you are like a little bit distant from reality at the right. same time. Right. Okay, you need to you need to live your life above and beyond like man, I I probably know like two girls that I see at church or go to church with or whatever. I'm not close with them, but like acquaintance level. And I literally think like if our um if our pastor, like the main one, were to say like, Hey, I you know, I reread this part of the New Testament, like go jump off a bridge on Wednesday, these girls would just like line up and do it. Right. And it's like, okay. Like the thing is, it's like not giving all of yourself to any one uh, entity, whether it's like political, uh, social, honestly, even a freaking sports team is like, it never ends well. Right? So if it's like a, like a pastor or like Duke basketball or like uh, the, the conservative wing of the uh, Republican Party, like they're going to screw you at some point. Right. Like no matter how passionate you are in certain moments, something's going to go wrong at some point. Right. Like you need a you need a, a wider basket of eggs in terms of like life philosophy. Agreed. No. And, and yeah, I'm, I think we all know people like that, that like, you know, put too much of whatever into that and you and you know what's interesting as well like i i feel the same way like you know I'm, i don't think we've got you know too many people i would say in new york city or that i know that you know really will live the life of christ but we have talked about that like really if you think about what that would mean you would i think everybody would consider you out of touch with reality if you did it by the letter and it's not that's probably not realistic for 99.999% of the world. It's just not, it's not going to happen. And, and, I, and then the other aspect is that I think I, I've talked to people, you know, what's funny is that they feel guilty about it. And I'm kind of, and I don't, 
and I, you know, I've kind of pushed them on that lately to be like, but why, you know, what, what, why do you have inherent guilt on that? You know, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lady that we talk with in our small group and, you know, uh, very interesting one, her husband's Jewish, so he never comes to church with her. So, you know, that's, he's got that going for him. Right. Um, But, you know, she's also got two kids and pretty much every week she's like, you know, I would just like to give thanks for the fact that I didn't strangle the two little motherfuckers again, (laughs) because she's like, she, she takes care of them every day and they're good kids, but I mean, they're, you know, like five and three and they're a handful and they get a lot of energy and I can understand. I mean, I watched one of them the other day, like literally just take her out, like her legs, like, you know, perfect, you know, cornerback form tackle on the running back, like just took the legs right out. She went down on the ground and it was like, wow. Like, and, you know, and she was going to get up and kill him. I probably would have because she told him to stop running around. One of them literally just took her out. But, you know, and she's like all the time, like, I just, you know, I just wish I didn't have these thoughts and I could be more godly. And it's like, no, no, no. It's okay to think that like your kid almost just, you know, cause yeah. major surgery on you. Like it's okay to be mad for a minute. It's all yeah. right. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, I feel like that's the, this is the last thing I wanted to ask you um, is, uh, okay. So on the kid front, what right. did you feel like? Cause I feel this sometimes like now I date this girl who's like 31. Right. And like all her friends are like having kids or like pregnant or whatever. So you go down that rabbit hole of discussion, right? So you were like <clears throat> maybe a little bit older, I guess, in terms of like mm-hmm. the, the 30, 31 cutoff. Did you, or like, have you seen among like Duke friends or whatever, have you seen like, do you think there's kind of like a, there's like a, a pressure whereby some people have kids like to quote unquote keep up with the Joneses or like their own social um shit got messed up so they're like might as well do this or do you think most people have like a generally um correct proactive approach to the idea of becoming parents yeah so i would say so i'll I'll put it this way i would say out of my friends um i think i think everybody had a generally good proactive, you know, proactive approach, but the pressure was definitely there, you know, in all honesty, again, like, so my wife and I had trouble conceiving because we were a little bit older. Um, But well, partially, I mean, the other part of the fact to be fair, and I think on the flip side, um, was that, you know, I I was traveling a lot, I wasn't home a lot, you know, I was home, you know, one day a week, maybe, you know, day and a half, a couple nights a week, that's it. So, you know, and realistically, you know, I think the media or I don't want to play the media, society in general tends to make it think like doing that is, well, truly, it is one of the most natural human things you could do, but also that it's fairly simple. And that if it doesn't just happen, there's something wrong with you. And she did see a doctor and, you know, we went through a lot of fertility treatments. You know, unfortunately, the guy wound up getting you know pretty serious terminal cancer and died while we were in the middle of like probably the third or fourth round of treatment or the third or fourth oh, round of and it was just like and it was also weird because he didn't didn't really tell anybody he was sick so it was like man like what, what are you doing but you know, so then we you know i i kind of went back to you know hey let, let's try naturally and in all honesty you know when we first started i was a little bit leery because you know i think of where we were in new york um, you know, there is this, I think there is very much a keeping up with the Joneses. And there yeah. was like, there's, because we 
couldn't have a kid, that meant it felt like, I don't know to put it on my wife or not, but I, I do think, you know, there was some inherent feeling of worthlessness or less than good, right. you know, because everybody knew I was comparing one. So I think she felt that. And I think immediately yep. when the guy was like, hey, if you've been trying and it's not working, there's obviously something wrong with you, you know, go ahead and lay out thousands of dollars for this treatment that's not really covered by insurance. Like it's right. like, and, that, and I'm getting the full bill, by the way, because it's not covered by insurance. Right. I felt like, he was, I mean, he had a track record, but I also felt like, you know, yeah. hey, aren't there some more tests we should be doing about this? Like, it feels yeah, like we're just yeah. kind of jumping to conclusions. Um, but, yeah, you know, but right. on the flip side, some of those people that some of my friends, I'll say this, and you probably are seeing it, the ones that had kids a little bit earlier, a little bit sooner after we graduated from college, like right. 25, 26, they were all married to Texas girls. Oh yeah. Literally. So right. it was girls from like Austin and went to UT. Like, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure that that biological clock, that was a much different oh, yeah. time frame. And well, I, I, I don't think they were really ready to have kids, but they did. And so that's, really good. You know. that's a really good one, man. So, uh, my girlfriend, uh, one of her friends from law school, um, her mom was like a, an educator and like coach, like, women's uh basketball and women's volleyball at some like smaller you know one of these like fucking plain dotting texas towns right and her mom so my girlfriend's friend's mom retired at like i don't i want to say she would have been like 59 60 right and um i was like uh i was like having lunch or some shit with my girlfriend and I was like, so and so is gonna be fucking pregnant within eight weeks. <laughs> she was like, how would you even possibly like? She's like, you don't know her that well. How would you even possibly know that? And I'm like, well, her mom retired. I guarantee you, her mom's putting pressure on her to have a kid because now it's like the mom needs something to do because she's not going to work at the school every day, right? And like literally, this chick announced being pregnant in like six weeks. And, like, my girlfriend came to me and was like, shit, I should not have doubted you. (laughs) It's like, those things are such an easy read because you take, like, the ethos of chicks in Texas and then, like, oh, now the grandmother level is going to have availability. And it's like, bam, perfect storm right there. (laughs) You don't need to be able to forecast financial markets to figure that one out, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's where, you know, and uh, so I uh, and I mean, I I mean, I saw that firsthand. I think we really and the reason why most of them got, you know, hooked up with that is that a bunch of my buddies and I, we went and lived in D.C. at, you know, 2003. So like during the middle of and the start of the second, you know, second Bush uh, eight years. And and you were at Georgetown. I mean, you saw it. I mean, there, there, there was a flood of people from Texas. And every one of them could not wait. I mean, they literally couldn't. It's like the minute you ask where you're from, they couldn't wait to tell you they were from Texas and how much better Texas was than where they were at the moment. And I just yep. went, I mean, I went on so many dates with these girls and I was just like, I I, I can't handle this. Like, I was yeah. just like, you know what, sweetheart, if Austin's better, like, you know, here's the map. I'll show you how to get back there. Like, you know. <laughs> Like, you know, here, let me draw it out for you. And if it, you know, and you know, you don't like living 
in a townhouse in Georgetown off mommy and daddy's money while you are the, right. you know, special assistant to the undersecretary of the undersecretary of, you know, the little plastic rings they put on Coke cans, then just go the fuck home, you know, right. and like, and, and be like, oh, you know, and then asking me how much money I'm making so we can be sure to move back, you know, to a ranch close to daddy and mommy, you right. know, in two or three years, that ain't on, that ain't in the script. Like that ain't yeah. happening. I'm sorry. Right. Right. You know? Same vein, man. Like one of those summers in there, like oh four, oh five. I was actually in Houston. I was in Teach for America, but like uh, I was in DC for like two weeks. I want to say it was like summer oh four, and I was like hanging out with these girls, and it was like to intersect these two stories. It was like a bunch of girls from Duke law school and a bunch of girls from Austin. Right. And they were like six girls living in a house and like me, which I think is like legally in DC is a brothel. <laughs> me and my friend were like hanging out with these girls. And I was like in town for like two weeks and I had to go back to Houston to like fucking teach third grade in the inner city or whatever. So just remember that was exactly like I, I was living in Texas, but I had no context for Texas because I'd only been there like eight months, right? right? And I was like, these girls from Austin, it was the same shit you just described where it was like, well, the plan is by like 27, right. I'll be back in like such and such town no one's ever heard of, like living on this huge acreage that nobody from Manhattan could ever comprehend, right? Right. And you're just like, holy shit, like, this is not in my script, right? <laughs> like, one of, my, one of my dude friends here is like, he, the first time, he, his dad has a fucking ranch, right? And right. the first time I went out there, I was like, where's the, where's the property line? And he's like, oh, about fucking 2,000 acres that way. <laughs> Like, what the fuck, man? Like, the, like, the I-95 corridor, people grow up in, like, fucking 1,600 square feet. And they're like, okay, this works. And he's like, yeah, oh, yeah, it's like 2,000 acres to the right. <laughs> That's, like, the line of property that you own, right? And he's like, well, I mean, technically it's his dad. But still, like... I'm like, holy fucking shit, man. That that type of stuff blew my mind about the disconnect between just like areas of the country too, you know? Yeah. 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 It's definitely uh it's a weird it's a weird yeah, I you know, like I said, I, I and then I had some friends in college too from, you know, the Fort Worth area. I went down to visit them and just the vastness of everything around. Like they've got a house and they're like, Oh, we're gonna go out to the ranch today and I'm like, Well, you don't live on the ranch? Like, no, nobody lives on the ranch. No, no. no. Yeah, so I'm just like, oh, of course, what a stupid question would that be? Like, what do you like? God, this is this giant expanse of wind and house, and they've got stuff in. I'm like, no, no one lives here. Like, like we don't, we don't need like, no, no, no. It's just we just come out here to you know shoot guns and you know chase you know animals and stuff. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. And they're like, oh, you know, and then. Uh, when I, you know, when I brought them, you know, home when I was in college, you know, to the point of 1,600 square feet, they were like, where's your yard? And I was like, it's about five blocks west and seven blocks <laughs> up. It's called Central Park. Like, that's the yard, man. Like, there it is. You got to gotta walk to it. And they were like, I don't believe this. Like, how could you live like this for years? And, and it's just a, 
you know, to your point of your, you know, your friends, everything is so partisan. I mean, we all are Americans, but it, it's the regionally where you grow up, things are, things are very different for a lot of people in this country. And, you know, it's not there. They're, I think regionally there are, you know, some very strong ties and a lot of very big differences that make people very different. And I think that's, that's, and I think sometimes people don't, I think some people put too much on that. I'd say the Texas people put too much on that. You know, I, if I also, if I had to hear one more time that if Texas seceded from the union, that, you know, the United States would crumble. I'd just be like, okay, you know, like I can't, I can't, I can't process this. Like, I, I don't know how many logic steps you got to there, but, um, but I think sometimes some other people, you know, overlook that, you know, you know, again, when it comes to like, well, what, what people think is right or what people think is moral or whatever. They just kind of go, well, it's, you know, it's obvious. Well, it's not obvious to certain people. It's just, it's a completely different way of life. And you have to take that, you know, take it, take that into account, you know, and people, I think, I think we, we often overlook that fact when we try to talk about, you know, one country, you know, one America, it's like, no, there's, there's, there's a lot of differences. And you, you know, it's, it's, I'm still fighting with it. You know, I still, I still have to catch myself a lot of times when, you know, when I say things they are like, oh, it's obvious or we should all think that way. It's like, no, there's a lot of different perspectives in this world.